Okay, so this is one reason why I do not like Android right now. <laughs> oh, you can't make it stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll do this. Three, two. You know, there's a a solve a way to solve that when I can't make it not talk. Aside from restarting my phone, I could install something like Button Mapper or something again. I tried to get away with not using it. Or yeah, sorry to interrupt, but it's time. Demasi and Michael just talking tech. Chrome on the Mac has this very strange behavior for me in Catalina. Uh, I'm on uh, Catalina 10.15.4 mm-hmm. at the moment. Uh, I'm on whatever the latest version of Chrome is. Uh, but this bug has existed for me since I upgraded to Catalina uh, maybe six weeks ago. Uh, whenever opening a new window, voiceover just continuously reads the entire page unless I hit, you know, the control key to shut it up. But it wants to read the entire page. Now, there is a setting in voiceover's utility in web behaviors that would say read, you know, read a web page when it loads or it'll start reading from the top. Kind of like the old behavior Jaws used to have. I think Jaws might still have that option, but it is an option. You turn it off. I tend to turn it off because I don't want you reading everything right away. But this happens even when I first launch Chrome. So if I launch Chrome just just like I just did, uh, it starts reading everything on my default landing page. And it's like, I don't understand why this is happening. Now, this is not happening in Safari. Uh, and I have been able to confirm that this also does not happen in Brave uh, browser, which is Chromium-based. Uh, but it does happen in the Chromium browser, which is sort of like the beta build uh, of the underlying browser for Chrome and the rest of them. Uh, it happens in Chromium. It happens in Chrome. It happens in Chrome Canary. I have not tested Edge, but it does not happen in uh, the Brave browser. And for those wondering the reason I didn't just keep using the Brave browser when I figured out it wasn't behaving against my will uh, it's because it crashed uh, <laughs> as it always has it just crashed when I was trying to select some text it was, I hit like VO shift C to copy the last utterance and then it just disappeared right out from up under me. I was like you know nope uh, so it's really annoying with Chrome dealing with this problem uh, does but, it happen when you open new windows or just new tabs uh, it happens when I open the windows oh, new tabs, anything new we do a new tab yeah, as soon as the page finishes loading, it starts reading. I just opened up a new tab. Drop Google uh, Chrome team feedback. Yeah, I'm trying to think about. Uh, yeah, I should do that. You're right. Uh, I was like, how do I explain? Like, your, your browser is doing weird shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> just reach out to him and be like, hey, so when I open a new instance or tab of your browser. Uh, you know what? Yeah, I'll do that. But you know what I can actually do because Catalina does have this nice handy screen recording feature. Ah. I can actually record that process uh, of it happening in Chrome, not happening in Safari. And I guess Brave might still be installed. I can show them that it doesn't happen in Brave. Now, I would actually prefer to use either Google Chrome or Chrome Canary or just Chromium itself rather than use Brave because Brave still crashes randomly for no reason that I can discern. Because if I do the exact same 
thing in Chrome, I'm fine. Uh, I know people like Edge. Edge is, Edge is kind of seeming to be on the rise a little bit. I'm not super fond of a couple of things about it. No, that's what they are. I don't remember at the moment. I just know it's like, oh, okay, whatever. I'm going back to Chrome. Yeah. Like, I'm cool. It's the little things. Um, flexible web for me, not being on on Edge yet. And But I'm going to a webinar tonight with Freedom Scientific, Vespero, and we'll see if they have anything to say about that. Uh, so you joined the meet with Safari. Yeah, I did. So I jumped in uh, in Safari because I've been meaning to test this because in the past, Google Hangouts, as it was Hangouts uh, before, did behave very strangely in Safari. Uh, some people would say that they couldn't get audio working in it. There was one point in time where it just wouldn't work at all because Safari wasn't really supporting uh, WebRTC uh, directly. Uh, so I decided today, uh, since you actually sent me the Chrome link, I, I mean, sent me the Meet link, I was like, well, I'm just going to click on it and let it open in Safari and see if it works. Because I've been intending on testing it to see if it works uh, at all. Because for some people, their resistance to using Google Meet is not because it's Google Meet, but they don't want to use Google Chrome. So I was like, let's try it. And it seems to be working fine. So the issue that I have when it comes to Google products or web products in general is... I haven't found a consistent way to figure out if I need the virtual viewer with JAWS on or off, for example. So when I was creating the Google Meet, if I had the virtual viewer off and I tabbed, I got an edit box asking me for the name or code of the uh, meeting. And when I had virtual viewer off, all I heard is 50. 50 characters or less. And then when I had virtual viewer on, it said, please enter our name or code for this meeting. Um, so it was giving two different messages. And then uh, I suspect you may know this, but turning virtual viewer off within the meeting gives me a more tabular experience. So I can tab through items, use the down arrow to drop icons down and stuff. But you get more information while setting it up with virtual viewer on and you have a better experience within it with virtual viewer off. So it's one of those things that I should provide some feedback to the meet team. That was the only feedback I had right away uh, on getting someone in. And then when you joined, it popped up and had a little dialogue when I figured out what JAWS was doing. Uh, I pressed tab to allow. It made sure to tell me that you weren't part, you were not part of the your own pay domain. Uh, and then I hit allow in or admit I could have blocked you from entering too. And now you're in here and I can tab through and see different icons on the screen. It looks pretty much the same way it does in Chrome. Uh, I can navigate with VO arrow keys or tab uh, through the interface. But I do feel your pain when it comes to web applications uh, because oftentimes the behavior in them is so different uh, even sometimes from screen to screen sometimes I find myself in a web application having to tab like I don't have an option to just use the VO and arrow keys to move around I have to tab to get to certain things or just use the arrows by themselves like up and down arrow to move lynda.com for example like they, a lot of the courses there give you exercise files and originally when I started using lynda.com, I was not able to see those exercise files to link to download those exercise files at all in any browser with the screen reader. Uh, I reached out to them and their solution at the time while they tried to work out 
you know, have the engineering team work out the issue and fix it was to email a customer support rep uh, that gave me a direct email for her and she would go download the files for me and then send them to me, which, you know, it, it was a nice response, I think. But for me, it was annoying because it's like, man, I, it might be three o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, there's no telling what time I might actually want to look at these files to do something and I didn't plan ahead. Uh, yeah. What I figured out, uh, which is a whole different conversation, was using the developer tools to see the pay, view the page source and then searching for what I figured out was the kind of uh, string that would be always there for downloading exercise files. Locate that, uh, copy the link that that uh, item was pointing to. And then pasting that into the browser and, and hitting return to load that page effectively, which would trigger the download. Uh, that that was not fun either. Uh, recently, going back to Lynda.com to pick up some things, uh, I figured out that I still can't see them if I just navigate normally. But if I use my arrow keys starting at a certain point on the page and use my arrow keys to arrow down, the fourth arrow down will have me on the exercise files and then I can either uh, move my mouse and click or I think hitting return also will trigger the download. So, uh, which is very, very strange behavior. So I need to try lynda.com out because I've been meaning to, but haven't really thought of anything that I wanted to check out there. So I will figure out what my experience on Windows is. Yeah, you should give Linda a try, man. Just search for something you're interested in learning more about. Like, I'm pretty sure, I mean, they got SEO stuff. You might want to, you know, dig into what was new there. I mean, there's tons of stuff. And the thing is, like, some people use it and actually go through each individual course that they take, you know, start to finish. And some people kind of do what I tend to do a lot of times, which is jump in, search for something, or go to a, a series, a, 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 uh, course specific course and look for the thing in there that i need to learn about the thing i need to know and watch those videos and practice and test and like okay i got it and then go on about my day uh, but it is pretty good and what type of lessons do they have on there just everything uh pretty much, or is it just tech related uh, it's everything man they got stuff on okay. there on on uh you know business management people management uh, time management huh. they got some new stuff up i don't know how I, I don't know if it's new in the sense like it never existed before or they're just updating stuff but they have stuff on there about working from home uh, there's all kinds of stuff okay i'm gonna and you from what i understand most of your libraries or a lot of your libraries will give you access to some of the material for free yeah uh most of the libraries that i have checked uh it's always good to just check with your local library is uh, they will if you have a library card you can go register for lynda.com uh, for free and have full access there's no actual restrictions on what you get to access uh, the okay. what I had to do in my case uh, for the Tuscaloosa public libraries I went and got a library card uh, and I couldn't figure out how to actually sign in as a uh patron on the app but what you do from their website is there's a link that says sign in with your organization or uh company or something like that you click that link and basically you're going to type in the url that will take you to your your uh public library's website uh you type mm -hmm. that in and then click next and then as long as you have set up 
uh, an online account with your library. So that means you, in my case, at least, uh, my library card number is my username. And then I had a user pin that I configured uh, myself uh, generated with one password. So I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, and you type that in and, and hit, you know, log in. And there's a little message saying, you know, your data will be shared with your public library, blah, blah, blah. You click OK. And then now you're in Lynda.com. Uh, and you have full access to everything. And it basically works the same way on the mobile applications. Uh, one thing of note is right now, we're library patrons are still using lynda.com and not LinkedIn Learning. Uh, LinkedIn has a plan that they're working on, or I guess they're, they're engineering the process, building out the actual connections. Uh, to allow people to use their library login to get into LinkedIn learning, uh, which, frankly, honestly, from a mobile app standpoint, on iOS at least, I actually hadn't looked on Android, but I will do that. Uh, but on the iOS side of things, the LinkedIn learning app is feels much more feature-rich uh, and accessible than does the lynda.com app. I'm not saying that the lynda.com app on iOS is not accessible, but... Uh, one example of the differences that I have seen is in the LinkedIn learning application. So Linda or LinkedIn learning, as they're mostly called now, has learning paths. So you can get, they have an entire, you know, let's say web development may be a thing that you're interested in. Uh, they have an entire learning path where they start you out with, you know, HTML, then take you to CSS and then JavaScript and, you know, build you up on the, you know, like taking a, a college course on web development. Uh with all their different courses put together in the order that you should take them in as it makes sense to build your knowledge in that space. And they have many learning paths for different things. It's not just tech related or web development related. In LinkedIn learning, you actually can see those learning paths and choose one that you want to, you know, start or activate or at least just browse, which is what I like to do is browse to see what content is actually there. Whereas in lynda.com, you do not see those, those, series of courses put together like that so you just have to basically search for the thing that you're looking for or know what the course is that you're looking for and then go find it uh, so the linkedin learning app seems to be more fully featured they are like i said working out how to allow patrons to start to log in that way uh originally the original plan for linkedin was well all library patrons would have to get uh if they didn't have one would have to create a linkedin profile and then that would be connected to the library uh, card membership. And then that would allow them access to LinkedIn learning. The libraries across the country uh, revolted against that idea. They were not interested <laughs> at all in all of their patrons having to become LinkedIn members in order to be able to enjoy the benefits of LinkedIn learning. Uh, they felt it was completely unnecessary and would be sharing data that people did not want shared. And because LinkedIn can be a little bit of a bitch when it comes to figuring out, configuring your, your, your settings and what's public and what's not, especially if you are a brand new user that has never touched LinkedIn before, the risk was there and is real for people to be sharing data that they had to give LinkedIn in order to create an account with the public when they did not intend to. So I completely see their point. Now, for me, I was like, well, man, I don't care. Just give me access to LinkedIn Learner because I already got a LinkedIn account. But. I see their 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 point uh, and do actually agree with them for the overall, overall general public. If you're not a LinkedIn member, you should not have to become one. Linda backed off or LinkedIn backed off on that idea. So it's like, okay, we're not going to do that. 
uh, what we're going to do is build in special access for library patrons so they'll be able to connect directly to LinkedIn Learning without having to have a LinkedIn profile. Uh, that has, of course, delayed that transition over from lynda.com to LinkedIn Learning for people uh, using library service to gain access. But it's a great service. I appreciate that it exists, and I'm looking forward to actually being able to just get into LinkedIn Learning directly. So I will check that out, and I put a link in the show notes at yourownpay.com slash dm47 to a blog post they created that has uh, free courses to help people through the times we're in right now. So uh, might be a good way to check it out if you can't get into LinkedIn Learning with other free courses. I'm not sure uh, if they offer those yeah, they, they, they tend to have some free courses here in order that you can get access to, or at least they'll give you the first couple, you know, uh, right. You know, modules in a course free or something like that. Also, for anybody just really interested to poke at it, that, uh, you know, just, just to poke around, I believe you still have to have a LinkedIn account, but you can get a free 30-day trial of LinkedIn Learning. So do you listen to that blind tech show on blind abilities? Uh, I do not. Should give it a listen. Serena, Brian, and Jeff. Uh, I, I had to write their names. That's why it's in there in Google Docs. So I didn't forget them because I'm horrible with names. I don't know if you've ever realized that, but yes, yeah. yes, I have. <laughs> Serena, Brian, and Jeff released a latest episode. If you go to the show notes, you'll be able to click on the Blind Abilities podcast under the resources heading, and it'll take you to the exact episode I'm talking about because Jeff's got a lot of content over there. I need to reach out to him. I keep like saying it and meaning to, and I just haven't done it because I keep getting distracted. So put that on my to-do list for in the next week. Anyways, I like their uh, ability to build an engaging episode. So it's not just people talking and blah, blah, blah. They, they, they're real with each other. I don't know how, how to say what I'm saying. It's nice to see the authenticity of other blind individuals and realize that they're not as a lot of people are portrayed as. Does, does that make sense? Camaraderie is the word Mike was trying to come up with here, I believe. So which iPhone are you on? Uh, I am on the iPhone 8 um, yeah. at the moment, yeah. Have you been looking at the SE? I'm interested in probably trying to get one for my mother. Uh, I personally don't want to go to that phone myself because uh, I would like to actually move up to like a 10, 11, something, something with Face yeah. ID. Because uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not married to the home button uh, at all. Which phone does your mother-in-law have? Uh, my mother-in-law has the original SE. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know what the trade-in value for that is because I, we looked it up and Nicholas's phone has been having a little bit of problems, so we're thinking about get, upgrading him this year, but we're not sure. That's going to be instead of the three ninety nine, it's two seventy one if you turn in an iPhone seven. So it might be worth looking to see if there's any trade-in value for that device. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, I I have looked at it. It is a very interesting phone. Uh, is is my thing is like apparently they they really thought it out like they didn't just put something together and get rid of it they really thought it out uh, in the sense because they made sure they put in the most current generation uh, Apple processor at the time uh, they're doing some tricks with the camera so that people still get portrait mode uh, 
and from what I've heard from Teradowns, they say that that camera in the SE 2020 edition is slightly better than the one that is in the uh, iPhone 10R, uh, which is the phone that Tia actually has right now. Oh. Maybe she could trade that one in for the SE 2020 and get a better camera. I think she's going to give her a face ID, bro. Yeah, yeah, I imagine not. <laughs> Once you start using it, it's nice to have. Although the interesting thing has been coming up a lot since uh, COVID-19 and people having to move around and wearing masks is that, you know, obviously Face ID does not work with a mask on. Uh, so yeah. it, it kind of reiterates the need for... I have always liked the idea of the rumors that keep floating around about Apple phones, that Apple is going to release a phone that is going to have both Face ID and Touch ID. Uh, I've heard... Now would be the appropriate time to do that this year. Yeah, <laughs> it would be. Uh, I And I've heard two different versions of what this phone would look like. One is it would have Face ID as it does now, and the Touch ID will be the under-the-glass Touch ID that a lot of Android phones have. If that is the case, if that's Apple's plan, I do sort of understand seeing some of the newer Android phones come out with uh, under the glass touch ID or fingerprint recognition. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the horribleness of the experience, I can kind of see why Apple has not yet released that feature because apparently uh, it's not nearly as accurate as actual buttons have been. And there's a lot of ways to trick it or get false positives or, or just have it fail all completely. So uh would make sense as to why they have not released that if that is the plan. One rumor I heard, and I only heard this from one place at one point in time sometime last year, which is the phone that they were working on that was going to have Face ID and Touch ID. They were going to put Touch ID in the side button of the iPhone uh, as opposed to putting it under the screen. And I was like, huh, mm-hmm. that's Interesting. I'm not sure how you make that button big enough to be a good enough sensor to be a touch ID, you know, a fingerprint yeah. recognizer, but it's interesting uh, <laughs> nonetheless. But yeah, I would actually like the option for both. Uh, I know some people feel like it's unnecessary because, well, if you got one, why do you need the other? And it's like, well, right now is a perfect example of why you need both of them. When you're in your house, Face ID is great. When you leave your house, you're not so much. (laughs) And if you're blind, you can unlock your phone in your pocket. This is true. Uh, This is absolutely 100% true. So I've been playing with Action Blocks a little. Did you hear about that? Yeah, you told me a little bit about Action Blocks. I have not actually followed up on those. So tell me and everyone listening what Action Blocks are. So two things, and I'm going to make a quick side note because that's what we do. In the latest All About Android episode, they were talking about action blocks, and uh, yeah, Flo had some some issues trying to figure out how to best explain who it could help, so uh, I will share my thoughts about that. And then they also mentioned Toggle as one of the apps in the app arena, and that is an app that I mentioned a couple weeks ago on AMI, which is pretty... Uh, Pretty amazing because the developer is willing to do what they need to do to make it more accessible. So if you are on Android looking for an app to track time, check out Clockify, and I'll have a link in the show notes. So in the uh, 
So with the Action Blocks app, which was released on Global Accessibility Awareness Day, which was the Thursday before we were recording this, uh, we Google made a announcement of a couple of different apps, and the one that excited me the most, and at first it didn't excite me. I was like, oh, okay, that's an app that I don't really need, was the Action Blocks app. And the best way I can explain Action Blocks is that it's a app that you go into, you can click on create new action block, and then you can either speak to your assistant or you can type in the command that you told your assistant. Then you choose a picture to represent that command, which doesn't do me any good, but it would help uh, other individuals. You type a quick label for the name of that, and I'll go through an example of this here in a minute. And then you hit add to home screen, and it will automatically add it to your home screen, and then open the Google Pixel default launcher just at, at this time. So if you're using an alternative one and you're like, this doesn't look right, hit your home button or perform your home gesture or do whatever you need to do to get home, you'll go back to your main launcher. And then for me on lawn chair launcher, it added it to the fourth page. Uh, and then when you tap that, it will open the Google Assistant. TalkBack needs to speak a little bit less during that because it reads Google Assistant like two or three times. And then it uh, performs the command that you typed in or spoke while creating it. Now, you can also set up routines inside of Google Assistant. I believe that's what they're called. And a routine will let you perform multiple different items at once. Uh, before I got into a different workflow, I had a good morning routine, and I also have a good evening routine, and I don't remember the good evening one because good morning is always what I think of when I set it, when I think of a routine. So I already set that one up to see how it worked. If you tap on good morning, it'll unmute my phone, and then it will tell me what time it is, what the weather's like, and it will then start playing some latest news. And then... And one of the advantages of this versus saying good morning is maybe you just got up and there's other people sleeping. You just tap that good morning routine uh, right there on your home screen with action blocks and it will run and you can have it be silent or I like it talking to me and I always have Bluetooth headphones connected. So when uh, I hit that good morning, it runs through my good morning routine and that's all I have to do. And I just set this up today. So I need to go in and reconfigure my good morning routine uh, because my lifestyle gotcha. has changed. Gotcha. Kind of reminds me a little bit of shortcuts on iOS. Yeah. Uh, but it's limited to what the assistant can do. Yeah. That, that's what I remember you kind of telling me. Uh, and, and I was kind of, you know, chatting about it uh, a few days ago and you telling me, uh, and he's like, I'm pinning it on your home screen. It's kind of like the whole idea of pinning a shortcut to your home screen on uh, iOS. It's nice that they're building out their own solution. Uh, so would you say that it's, it's a simpler process than dealing with something like uh, Tasker? To set it up, yes, because you're setting up the actions you want it to perform within the assistant, and they've kind of made that to where you could do most of it by voice. So you you should already know what you want to happen. I'd like to chain a couple of commands together, which you can with routines, uh, and I haven't played with that, like how much how much you can do with that. And of course the difference with Tasker is you can control the device at device level, whereas assistant can only control assistant items. Right. I don't know if like assistant can turn off Wi-Fi or, you know, it might be able to, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, I was 
I'm going to say let me check very quickly, but I think I turned off the assistant because I, I, I was talking <laughs> to you about something with Google, and it just decided it was going to listen. And I was like, yeah, so you got to go. Uh, yeah, but I, I was just thinking, like, it, it if Google continues to kind of add on to that as well as adding more uh, assistant features in the future and continues mm-hmm. to build that out, could it be a, a – comparable or at least a a reasonable alternative to tasker for a lot of people who don't need the stuff that tasker can do at at its very high level uh they're just looking for some basic automation stuff uh whereas tasker is really kind of you know tasker can be a be a beast (laughs) it can as long as they can use you know touch to touch the icon or they can use voice control and how you so if they can touch or speak or interact with that icon then yeah i think it would be a lot easier for individuals coming to android and i mean we have an event on june 3rd so what what more if anything will the assistant be able to do with android 11 too right I've been focusing on the multi-touch input, but I'm thinking now with, with Action Blocks, well, what else can the assistant do? And they are pushing for on-device processing, so it should even speed up that, that everything you can do with it. Yeah, that, that brings up a point for me uh, because I have noticed, and I again, I... You know, I don't follow all of the Android stuff like as far as the blogs and stuff go, so I don't know what like nine to five Google is saying or stuff like that. But I do listen all about Android. Uh, I am on the uh, list here and there, uh, and of course, I'm talking to you. But I don't necessarily think Android or Google gets enough credit for what they have been trying to do for the past five years at least with Android, which is they are trying to make it more secure. Uh, I hear a lot of people still today in 2020, uh, you know, bring up the points of the bifurcation of Android because you got so many different versions that are actively running on devices, uh, which is a problem. It is an issue, but it is seeming to me to be getting better as newer devices come out that start at, let's say, Android 10 and they're going to get 11 and they're going to get 12. Now, you do get some manufacturers that say, oh, we're going to provide two years of updates and then that's it. We're done. Uh, and Apple has a longer track record of supporting older devices longer. Uh, but Apple also has the advantage of having built their model to support that from the beginning. They're not yeah. trying to retrofit it. Uh, and they're also in control of the entire process. Like you can only get the iPhone from Apple. There's not a, you know, Samsung version or LG version, uh, out there. Also Google, but one of the ways that Google has tried to address that issue, uh, is by moving a lot of the components for the system that need to be updated. So, you know, security patches, uh, things like that have been moved into Google play services, which means they can update those on a device that may not run Android 11, but, they should still get security patches through Google Play services that will ensure that holes that were found in Android 10 or Android 9 are not going to, you know, still affect those people and leave them leave them vulnerable. Uh, and then trying to move, you know, more of the assistant stuff to on-device processing um, is, to me, kind of another step in removing so much of their reliance on the cloud, which they are good at the cloud. Like they, they are, that's what they are. Like Mm -hmm. they are a cloud company. Uh, Unbeknownst to a lot of people, they, they power a great 
deal of the internet. Like, it, it, people, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like Amazon, though. Like, a lot of people know Amazon for the storefront, right? Nobody really, your average person doesn't really know about AWS and how much, a, like, right. if AWS was to shut its doors tomorrow, the internet would be over. Like, you know, no Netflix. At, at least a third of it. <laughs> uh, probably a little bit more than that. <laughs> right, right. Be quite fair about it. <laughs> but the third that people uh, cared about anyway. Uh, but Google is huge <laughs> in that space, not just in providing the infrastructure stuff like AWS, but the computing power that Google has managed to build uh, server side for itself because they build their own custom servers. Like they don't buy anything off the shelf. They build their entire server stack, uh, which to me is fascinating. Right. Sort of like what Apple does with its processors for iOS. Google's doing that for the computers that run all of its services. Uh, which is amazing to me. So them shifting stuff more to on device, I think, is their their continued prog- progression towards uh, delivering more clarity as well as more privacy enhancements uh, in their services moving forward. Uh, and again, I highlight something that I think a lot of people miss. Apple's always banging the drum about their privacy and respecting user privacy and their security. Uh, but Google is you know, out of the two of those, you would say, well, Google, you know, has more data. They collect more user data, which they do. They don't sell it to people. They sell their knowledge of what, you know, said buyer is looking for. They're not actually handing over your data, uh, which is a point that always makes me mad when I hear people, you know, misrepresent the business model of Google. Uh, it really takes me off. Uh, but between the two companies, Apple and Google, Google is the only one that gives you a way to securely encrypt your backups for your uh, phone before they go to Google's cloud. So Google cannot poke at your backup themselves. They cannot retrieve your backup if you choose to encrypt it. Uh, Whereas, you know, famously, Apple, of course, can at this point decrypt your iCloud backups. There are some areas of your iCloud data that are encrypted and hidden away from Apple that they cannot access. But your typical backup data, which will probably dump you know, a ton of stuff out of your phone that could be helpful for somebody. Uh, they do have access to that because they have been consistently with the warrant turning that information over to the FBI and other law enforcement agencies. Again, they do require that people have a warrant and not just selling it out the back door. Uh, but they're able to comply with that. Whereas Google, it, again, if you choose to set yours up to be secured, encrypted before uh, leaving your phone, Google can't turn over that data. Uh, to anyone because they don't have what they can turn it over to them it just won't be much use to them Uh, and again I I always feel like Google has been making strides with accessibility which they've you know for a long time in the blind community gotten a bad rap about Uh, and they're making strides on one clarifying what they do with your data you know their their data management policies uh, which is good because a lot of people don't want to read 10 pages of legalese to figure out oh they're not (laughs) selling my email address they're just telling somebody hey i know who wants to buy that stuff i will email them myself uh but they're also making you know strides towards improving and enhancing user privacy and user security on devices as well as with their services as well and like i said it pisses me off when i hear people say otherwise or imply otherwise especially when it's a person that is in a position to say something that hundreds of thousands or millions of people are going to Mm. hear and then they misrepresented what the actual facts are 
But Demasi iMessages is secured end to end and Google Messages isn't. Well, actually, I do listen to 9 to 5 Google and there are rumors of uh, Android 11 bringing secure messaging to uh, those providers who are supporting RCS or rich communication services. And uh, they did announce, well, T-Mobile, this is this is creative, and I got this from All, uh, all About Android. T-Mobile made the announcement that they were the first to support RCS uh, fully on their network. Well, actually, Sprint was, but now that T-Mobile owns Sprint, T-Mobile can <laughs> say <laughs> uh, Yeah, they got it by proxy. You know, we bought the company to do it first, so yeah, we did it first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Welcome to America. <laughs> so I do want to address something that you said right there, though, because see that that's another one of those those pain points for me when it comes to the, the privacy and the security and all of that uh, that people hold Apple in such high regard from. Not that they don't deserve their reputation, but iMessage is a perfect example. iMessage is not encrypted. I mean, it is encrypted. Excuse me. iMessage is encrypted end to end, but you're not managing your keys. Apple is. So as I point out to people, Apple could totally now they probably would not ever do it without some type of a warrant. And I believe I would want to believe that they would vigorously fight against doing this, but it would be possible. That's the only point I'm trying to make. Not that they have done it because there's no record. There's no indication whatsoever that they have done this. Uh, See, I'm being very clear about what I'm trying to say versus a pundit who just spit some shit out and then a thousand people. This is why you should listen to our show, because we try to give you the facts. We don't just make up shit (laughs) uh, or say what sounds good. There's no record that Apple or indication that Apple has ever done this, but the possibility exists. As as of iMessage, the way it is today in 2020, uh, May, what is today? May 27th, 2020, uh, because they could totally change the shit to end of uh, June right. WWDC like <laughs> alright so here's what we're doing uh, but as it stands right now Apple could insert themselves or any other third party into your encrypted iMessage conversation uh, because they're the ones who are managing the keys that handle the encryption of the message traffic um, that is a possibility again they've never done it to anybody's knowledge uh, but they mm-hmm. could do it. So while iMessage is end-to-end encrypted, it's not what what I call and what well I didn't coin this phrase. So it's, it's not what I you know phrase trust no one encryption, which means things are encrypted on your device and they're decrypted on the other end for that person, but nobody has the ability to peek into your your conversation whatsoever. Signal is an example of a trust no one encryption message encrypted messaging service uh, because you have the message decrypted on your end and the person you send the message to can decrypt it on their end but there's no way for Signal or anyone else to uh, break into that conversation or insert themselves in that conversation without actually having physical access to your device uh, and if they have physical access to your device well they're just going to read the shit anyway it doesn't matter <laughs> you got a whole lot it's just like I say about 1Password if you get into my 1Password account the fact that I have some two-factor codes inside of there right alongside the actual login, you know what? It doesn't even fucking matter at that point because you're inside yeah. of one password. You're in my you're in my realm. Yeah, <laughs> like it's over at that point. Even if I moved all of the two factor codes out of one password, uh, you still would have a way to probably get back to it. Because guess where I keep the recovery codes? One password. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Mm-hmm. Although, you know, if I had have known about this service or this service, sync.com had existed some years ago, I might have done that differently. As I've set up new two-factor for different stuff, I've actually been saving those codes in uh, sync.com because, again, they're client-side encrypted. So they encrypt it first before they go to sync servers, which means sync can't and my data again they can turn over whatever they want to it's not going to do anybody any good uh, because it's all encrypted and they do not have the keys uh, but that is a, a a subtle difference in apple's iMessage that again yes it is encrypted in the end but it's not tno because they could you know and again they have not but they could do it and the fact that 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 potential is there means that I don't think people should continue to hold up iMessage as like the, you know, most amazing messaging service in the fucking world because it's not like it's great. It's awesome. It it is amazing the way that it works. You know, now for me, at least my messages sync across my phone and my Mac and my watch. So if I read it on my phone, I don't have a badge on the Mac, etc. It is it is nice what they have done. Uh, But they have not. And it's probably because of user complexity in the beginning have not you know, remove themselves from being able to potentially tamper with that conversation. Uh, Signal is the gold standard. And it's such a gold standard that uh, WhatsApp switched to using them several years ago before they bought, before they were purchased by Facebook. Uh, WhatsApp actually switched to using the, the signal protocol for their messaging. You know, they built all their extra stuff into it on top of it or whatever, but they're using right. signals protocols for their encryption, which means when they tell you your shit is encrypted, it is encrypted. Uh, there's no <laughs> bullshit about it. Even Facebook can't poke at your shit in WhatsApp if you choose to encrypt it. I'll ask you these, the, one of these last questions. Are you doing anything creative with shortcuts on iOS? Mm, not really at the moment. Uh, most of my shortcuts that I use regularly right now are kind of your basic things uh so i have the one that i can run that will uh put the phone and do not disturb uh very quickly and and all of that or come out of do not disturb uh but nothing nothing super clever at the moment uh okay yeah, i got a couple yeah, of ideas for them. there's a few interesting apps that have been released on ios uh in the past couple of months that Give some give give some additional power, I think, to shortcuts, but I haven't really investigated yeah. them. So, Data Jar is one of those uh, where you it, it will keep basically it would allow you to use like a password or any sort of data that you didn't want sitting actively in a shortcut, uh, but you want to be able to retrieve when you run a shortcut. Uh, that's one app that I'm interested in uh, playing with, but I just hadn't really found a, a need for a thing that I need to do just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm finding more and more that if I don't have a reason to do something, <laughs> I'm not as motivated to just go tinker with it to see like, oh, what can I make over here? It's like, yeah, right. I'm not fucking with that wood until I actually need to build a shed and then we'll, we'll see about <laughs> that. But, you know. What I've got working is working now just fine for me and I don't need to change shit up because I might break something. <laughs> yeah, that, and, you know, man, I'm, I'm really trying to accelerate my my. my you know, try to shorten the curve as much as I can for learning PHP because there's so much stuff that I want to do inside of WordPress that, yeah, there's a plugin that might do that, but it didn't quite do it exactly the way I want it done. Mm. Or it's totally unnecessary for this minimal feature that I would like to be able to do that I know there's PHP I could just write for it, but I want to understand what I'm doing. I don't want to just go copy something yeah. from somewhere 
and put it in the appropriate file for a plugin or right. the appropriate, you know, template file for a child theme and just have it run without knowing what the hell it's doing. Because number one, if something breaks, I don't really know how to fix it. Uh, and two, like I can't be certain because I don't have that deep understanding of PHP that I'm trying to obtain uh, to know whether or not this code is in any way sloppy. Like sometimes I can look at stuff and like, mm-hmm. that don't make sense. But sometimes <laughs> what looks repetitive to me or extreme, like, man, you couldn't have condensed that a little bit more. Like, nope, that's exactly how you had to write it. Like, there's no shortening that. There's no condensing that. That is the most compact piece of code you're going to see to accomplish the thing it is trying to accomplish. Uh, so I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm mostly focused on learning a lot of PHP Uh Boosting my CSS skills a little bit, but mostly focused on PHP. I'm not even really looking at JavaScript all that much because uh, I feel like I need to focus on a language specifically Mm -hmm. as much as possible to learn it. Because once I learn and I'm comfortable with PHP, that would allow me to do my job better uh, from the development side of WordPress. And then I feel like it will be somewhat easier to pick up the you know, pick up a different language because it won't be learning the language from scratch so much as like, okay, all programming languages at their core are similar. It's just somebody chooses to implement the way of doing things a little differently. It's sort of like switching screen readers in Windows. Yep. Uh, I think it's a, a good uh, analogy, analogy Yeah, for uh, people who've used screen readers. Like if you use JAWS forever, you know, you can switch to NVDA in the biggest things you have to learn about nvda is how do they how did they implement the functions that you were used to using in jaws or how do they implement cursor routing and mouse and what do they call all of that yeah and what do they call it but the same functions still exist right so if you already know if you know jaws well you won't have as many as much trouble or as steep of a learning curve getting into nvda whereas if you have been you know uh, if you have a patchwork of knowledge on how to use JAWS, then, <laughs> you know, NVDA is going to be a bitch. I'm going to tell you it's going to be a bitch. <laughs> Yeah. So pick one, get to know it, and then possibly branch out if that's something you're interested in doing. Uh, programming by Stealth, it sounds like, is going to start talking about uh, PHP. Yeah. Uh, I think they're going to so. get there eventually at some point because he wants to eventually get her to be able to write her own theme is sort of his goal. But I also think in the process, he's going to be writing his own theme. Uh, but right. see, if you listen to right. so program by stuff, which we shall link to in the show notes at your own dot com slash DM 47. Yep. Uh, programming by stealth took the same approach that I'm trying to take, which is kind of somewhat where I got the idea from. Uh, to be quite honest, which is just I want to do PHP first as opposed to JavaScript, which is where they really started down the actual programming path was JavaScript. Because uh, I don't really need all that much JavaScript. Uh, like It's handy, and it's a good language to learn because <laughs> uh, there's so much stuff that could be automated with JavaScript. I mean, Drafts uses J- JavaScript uh, right. to do some automation. The Omni apps are using uh, JavaScript uh, you know, it's JavaScript used in WordPress all over the place on the web. Uh, that would probably allow me to do some slick shit with our discourse uh, if I knew JavaScript. But I always think of JavaScript as a as a as a client facing thing, whereas the PHP <laughs> is what makes the fucking shit load in the first place. Like that's what I need to really master. <laughs> uh, even though a lot of people say PHP is oh it's outdated, you know, blah blah blah, whatever. Uh, I'm using WordPress. It uses PHP. 
Uh, so that's at least for now. Uh, yep. Probably forever. It's never going to yeah, not use PHP. <laughs> the JavaScripty part of WordPress is really client side. It's really presentation. Uh, mm, okay. That's where most of that functionality is being used. It's like presentation. It's like, oh, I want to display this message, or I want to. Well, you know, not just for that stuff, but you know, it, it's, it's, right, it's right. more. Whereas the PHP code is what's going to allow me to be able to write my own little plugin that will do all of the stripey things I want to do with Stripe without having to use somebody <laughs> else's plugin that may or may not be supported or may or may not do exactly what I want it to do, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. Man, Stripe is fucking amazing, though, dude. Just <laughs> as a side note. Uh, yeah, yeah, especially when you get into developing and, and looking yeah, into but connecting you know, it through different at, means. Though, like, yeah, that, that's, that's nice. Like, it's always been great for developers, but the thing that I'm liking is, like, they're really starting to build more of a, a user-friendly, customer-friendly interface mm. to stuff. So, you know, invoices, I think, was the first big step uh, down that path was them creating, the, you know, the ability for you to create an invoice from within Stripe. You you were able to create invoices and have them emailed and all of that using uh, code, uh, using right. the API, but now that you can just go to actually invoice.new, uh, <laughs> create a new invoice. Yep. I understand where you're coming from because it, it seems to me more like Stripe is trying to be more of that front-facing tool and and the back end, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, they are like the back end for a lot of stuff. Like a lot of people are using Stripe, and you may or may not know that they're using Stripe depending on how they how they chose to implement it. Uh, but yeah, I'm seeing a lot more front-facing stuff now, where it's going to be easier for just the average person to go set up. as easy, but you know, to actually make use of Stripe. Like, I don't need a plugin. I don't need a developer. I can set up a Stripe account and just start invoicing people. Like, it's yep. not going to be as, it's not as slick. Like, you would still want a developer, or need a developer, or need a plugin or something if you wanted to add it to your WordPress site or some other CMS type system. Uh, to make it you clean, use it make to it, get money. you know, make it feel like FreshBooks or something. Like, yeah, you need you need more code, but just for the basics, like I need a way to send people invoices, and I want it to work, and I want to be able to get paid, and I want them to be able to use Apple Pay and Google Pay. Like, hey, Stripe, there you go. Do you have a smart TV? Yeah, I do. We have a Samsung TV. Uh, I don't remember the model number. It's a 47 or 49-inch TV. I don't remember any of the details about it. But I do know that if you press and hold the mute button for three seconds, you'll get a horrible text-to-speech, but you'll have (laughs) text-to-speech and be able to access the TV and a lot of apps inside the TV. Uh, I am considering a dongle. So we have a Chromecast, but I... Chromecast is a complicated concept to explain to some that you start the playback on your phone and then you hit this button and you send it to the TV uh, versus you browsing the TV itself to watch something. So I think I'm going to pick up a Fire Stick or if rumors are true that I've been reading and hearing about an Android stick, if they come out or something to plug into the TV, I don't want to pay for an Apple TV because I'm not really in the Apple ecosystem right now. So, um, the boys are the only ones with iPhones, but Mallory and I both have Android. So that's why we're looking at those alternative solutions. Uh, so one recommendation, uh, would be don't get the fire stick, get the fire TV. Ah. Uh, 
because you get a little bit more processor power. I, a lot of people I know that have bought fire sticks uh, tell me that they f- tend to kind of freeze up. And in a lot of mm. cases, they're not using the accessibility features built into it. So I think it's just kind of underpowered. Uh, so I would say get a fire TV. Probably in a few weeks, Prime Day will be a thing. Uh, Maybe prime week, they're talking about moving it to September. Oh, what the hell? Yeah, I, I suspect you you didn't hear that on any of the podcasts. <laughs> no, but I am a little behind this week, at least. Anyway, uh, I listen to way too many podcasts. Uh, I think the only thing I have way listened to many. this week at all, or anything that's fairly recently new, is uh, Cortex. I think it's the only thing I've listened to. Uh, they had an interesting discussion about uh, his spaceship view video. Uh, which we linked to last week uh, or last episode but yeah, I, yeah. Uh, Apple not Apple TV Apple TV is fine I say if you can catch one on sale it's cool because you, well no because then you don't really have the ability to control it you have to use the remote control uh, right because I don't think they have a remote not for a remote Android. out for Android yeah that's that's the sucky yep. shit so I would say leave Apple <laughs> TV out because nobody wants to have to deal yeah. with that funky ass remote they got for the TV uh Android TV is interesting. I really hope they come out with like a new device for that. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people have been using the NVIDIA Shield, uh, which has Android TV built into it. Oh, I don't know why I didn't think about that. It's been mentioned on All About Android. Like I, I did for some reason that didn't even cross my mind. Uh, so that could hmm. that could be a potential solution. Uh, or time to Google. Uh, <laughs> Time to eBay search. Yeah, I think eBay. Yeah, yeah. eBay Cheaper has been that an way. interesting place. Has it? So eBay has been an interesting place. I, I like I, I hadn't used it for a while, and then I recently started kind of getting back into it because uh, I was looking uh. for certain things, and it's like, oh, I'm gonna go check eBay. But I, I think for at least for me for a while, it was kind of out of mind, out of you know, out of sight, out of mind. It's like Amazon, Amazon, Amazon for everything. Uh, but you know, jumping over on eBay, like you, you find a lot of great deals on eBay and you can help small people on eBay, not small people like physical smallness, but single individuals or a family, or you can help put food on someone else's table. If you go and you shop eBay, right? Because you're buying something used or something new that someone never used. Like all these shoes Mallory has in this fucking closet. <laughs> If anyone has any questions or wants links to anything we mentioned, head on over to your own pay.com forward slash DM 47 at Payon on Twitter, P A Y O W N. And I'm at Damasi D A M A S H E. One day we're going to tell you guys to follow us on LinkedIn or something. <laughs> Just to mix it up a little. Uh, just because Twitter's going to get shut down. You ain't heard. <laughs> oh, I heard this morning. <laughs> no more Twitter. It's all over. <laughs> you've been listening to Your Own Pay Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, visit yourownpay.com slash cast for exclusive content. And to contact us today. We're eager to hear your thoughts and about how you're making this podcast your own. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. The Your Own Pay Podcast. Yourownpay.com.